Welcome to Outside Source Football. This is a show about what's going on inside the NFL. Your hosts, Evan Mick and Ty Ruddy, bring the latest predictions and updates from the league. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale. This is Outside Source Football. My name is Evan Mick, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Ty Ruddy. Today, we will be ranking running backs in the 2023 NFL Draft. And since we are so close to the draft, in our second segment, we will be recapping who had the best and worst drafts in the last two years. So let's go on. Ty, you're going to start us with number 10. So at number 10, I have Kenny McIntosh. He's out of Georgia. 6'1", 210, so he's got some good size. He's a powerful back with capabilities for breaking tons of tackles. He had a ton of yards after after first contact. He has unusually good hands for a running back. He, he had a lot of yards in his career out of the backfield and good ball security. One downside that he has is he's going to need a good line. He's not the kind of guy who can make big plays happen on his own, so he needs the holes, but once he hits them, He's pretty explosive through them. At number 10, I actually also have Kenny McIntosh out of Georgia. He's listed at 6'1", 210. He's a good receiving back. He has good concentration, and he can be split out if you need him to as a receiver and run routes. He's got okay balance, good open field cuts, good explosiveness while he's hitting the hole. His ceiling is really low, but he's a great RB2, especially if you want someone who can split out in two running back sets. So you want a guy who can do anything a guy with a lot more variability in those two running back sets with your other running back in there this is the guy that you want to take so at number nine i have chase brown out of illinois he's listed at 511 215 but an interesting an interesting thing about that he was listed at 205 during the season he turned some heads at the senior bowl both with his performance and also with his weigh-ins that's when they weighed him at 215 a lot of people weren't expecting that. He is, unlike unlike Kenny McIntosh, he is a big, big play guy and sparked key wins against Wisconsin and Iowa. He had big plays in key moments all throughout the season and almost helped pull off an upset against the Wolverines. At my number nine, I have Tajay Spears out of Tulane. He's listed at 5'10", 200 pounds. He does a good job of catching himself when he's off balance. But the problem with him is that he gifts off balance pretty easily. He's a good receiving back. He can and has split out wide. He has that breakaway speed. So the thing I'm going to talk about a lot on here is breakaway speed. So breakaway speed is basically like if they're in the open field, if they're like running next to a corner, are they going to beat the corner to the end zone or is that corner going to make the tackle? Are they able to get chased down or are they able to break away? That's a.k.a. breakaway speed. So he does have breakaway speed. He's okay at reading his blocks. He's quick and athletic, but he doesn't make a lot of cuts. But I'm guessing it's because he hasn't had to do so yet. So I don't think he'll be super efficient in the NFL, but he has the potential to put it together if he learns how to make those cuts. At number eight, I have Israel Abanaconda out of Pittsburgh. He's 5'11", 215. So that's pretty that's pretty standard size for uh, a running back. He's broad and compact, and he's an attacker, so he's very downhill, but he's also very quick at getting downhill, and he explodes through the holes. Beyond the line is a power grinder type running back, so he had a lot of yards after first contact, and once he once he hits those holes, even if he gets met by a linebacker, he can still he's still good for a few more yards after the after contact. 
At my number eight, I have Kendra Miller. He's at out of TCU. He's listed as 5'11", 215. He's not much of a receiving back, and he has borderline breakaway speed. I would probably argue that he doesn't quite have breakaway speed. He's good at fighting for that one to two extra yards after contact. The problem with him is that he has an MCL injury in the game against Michigan, and he's supposed to be ready before the season, but will he be himself again when he gets back this season? Will he ever be himself again? That's always the question and something that's important to keep in mind. Now, injuries are becoming a lot less impactful in pro games as recovery methods get better and better, but it's still something that you want to be able to keep in mind during a draft process. It's still something that hurts the guy's draft stock. He is really good straight line back. He makes the initial read of the hole and keeps going that way. He's not afraid to run into someone at full speed, which is partly why he's really good at fighting for that one or two extra yards. Other than that, though, he's not super elusive. I like him as an athlete. I think he has the athletic traits to be better than he actually is, but only time will really tell with his injury and with his limited production in college, even though he was really good this year. I would say, like, he could have been better because of his athletic traits. So number seven is actually Kendra Miller for me as well. Like Evan was saying, uh, he has that, that injury. That's always a toss-up, especially pre-draft. He, as Evan was saying, is an athlete. He's a productive back who posted about 1,400 yards and 17 touchdowns for the Horned Frogs this past season. His explosiveness and quickness at the line add to his game. And on top of agility, he has the strength to carry defenders. So as with my as with my last back, he's he's a downhill type of guy. And he's got the strength in his lower body to get some yards after first contact. At my number seven, I have Dwayne McBridge. He's out of UAB. He's listed at 5'10", 210. He does not have breakaway speed, but he is very hard to tackle. He has really, really good balance, and he can't really get ankle tackled. You have to hit him and wrap, which is just important in being an NFL back. Now, he doesn't have super great lateral cuts, and he isn't much of a receiver. He is explosive after he chooses the hole, though, and he is really good at reading his blockers. But he does play for UAB and doesn't play great talent. He's not a receiving back at all. He only had two catches in his last five games. His skill set that he has also doesn't really allow for him to make that jump into being a receiving back. I don't really see him as a great RB1 because he doesn't have the athletic traits to be able to do everything. But I see him as a good power back, a good goal line back for teams with like like if the Chargers kept Austin Eckler this year as their receiving back and taking this guy as a power back, taking this guy as a goal line back, first down maybe, I think that would be a good pick, a good situation to put him in. Number six, I have Roscon Johnson out of Texas, listed at 6'2", 222. So obviously he has some nice size on him. An interesting thing, he was actually recruited out of high school partially as a quarterback and played wildcat during some games in his college career with that he is smart enough to know the offense which I think is an underrated trait for any skilled player yeah I would say I would lean more towards receivers a little bit in that but definitely an underrated chart for being able to read the offensive linemen in running backs right knowing, knowing this knowing the playbook right and that's something he does very well he's got he's got extreme extreme vision he's he he knows his holes and he hits them well and fast he lacks dynamite so he's not a big play guy like some of the people on this list 
but he is an old reliable. His teammates pre-draft described him as a workhorse, and they said that he's one of the best teammates they'd ever had, so he will not be a locker room issue at all. At my number six, I have Cartavius Tank Bigsby. So his real name is Cartavius, but everybody calls him Tank. If you see an NFL logo even, they'll, they don't even put his real name. They'll literally just put Dank Bigsby. He's out of Auburn. He's listed at six foot two ten. He's patient, a little too patient at times, though. But he does a good job of bouncing after he hits a hole. So after he hits an original hole wrong, he does a good job of bouncing and continuing in that direction to the outside. He has borderline breakaway speed. I'd probably also argue for him that he does not quite just have breakaway speed. He's got good power when he needs one yard for a first down or an end zone, which also shows how he's good at knowing situations, but he's not super strong. Like he's not running over tacklers or dragging tacklers with him. His jump cut is solid. So is his cutbacks. The cutbacks though, he's good in open space and outside zone, not so much on inside zone in choosing, changing from the hole that he originally chose. The only thing he's good at in inside zone is when that inside zone hole closes up. As I was already saying, he's good at bouncing to the outside, but not so much at cutting back. He didn't really ever catch the ball out of the backfield, so he's not much of a receiving back. I wouldn't say his skill set allows for it, but maybe a little bit more than he actually did in college. And my number five, I also have Tank Bigsby, listed at six foot two thirteen, so he's got some nice size to him. Like Evan was saying, he's got decent breakaway speed on the outside. He's got a big frame that he fills out quite nicely. He more so than than many running backs who come out of college looks the part of an NFL running back. Although he passes for a traditional thumper, he has a nice jump cut up his sleeve. He struggles with outside speed a little bit, as Evan was saying. He has a hard time beating linebackers and corners to the outside, and that's a metric that you were saying you look for a lot with these guys, right? Maybe not a lot, because I just call it breakaway speed. I just I name it because it's something that's really easy to pick on in every single guy. Like It's something that's extremely noticeable. But in the NFL... I would say that that's not half as important as it is in college okay. because you're not getting as many of those open breakaway tack. Like, you're not getting those 60-yard touchdowns like you are in college. You're not getting those 90-yard touchdowns where you have to have breakaway speed. The right. corners are probably going to tackle you anyways. Somebody's going to make a tackle. So it's a little bit less important in the NFL because it happens less often. Right. But also because there's more scoring in the NFL – it's more important, so I guess it kind of balances it out. I would say it's less important in the NFL. That's just my opinion. Okay, and we've talked about the speed change from college to the NFL multiple times on this on the show. His ball security, especially this past year, has drawn some concerns. He had four fumbles, but only lost one of them. So on the whole, he's a solid choice for a team in need. He just has a few hiccups here and there in his game. At my number five, I have Roshan Johnson out of Texas. He's listed at six foot two twenty, so he was the RB two to Bijan. So obviously not the best sample size. It may have also helped him a lot because while other players were tired in that third and fourth quarter, he's only gotten three four touches, and he's still on fire. He's still got all that energy, but it also may have helped NFL teams see him as better because he hasn't gotten so much touches, so he hasn't had all that wear and tear that running backs can come in with. He's got a lot more in his legs, you know, he's not as he's not as worn as some of these guys are, and running backs usually go pretty quick. He's really, really good at reading blockers. He doesn't have great balance, 
especially when you tackle him from the side, but he's big and he can run through tackles. He can catch. He's got pretty decent hands. He's an okay receiving back, but he doesn't catch well through contact specifically. He's okay in terms of explosiveness, more than serviceable though. But my big comparison for him is that he runs a lot like Isaiah Pacheco. I never really knew how to describe it, except as like he runs angry at the ground. He runs like he just hates the ground. It's a great trait because he always keeps his legs moving. He always keeps himself going forward. And if he gets a decent offensive line that opens up a hole, he's going to hit the hole. He's going for it. He's not, you know, dancing around a little bit in the back. He's going for it straight downhill. At number four, I have Devin Akane out of Texas A&M listed at 5'9", 185, which he is blessed with world-class speed. So he ran for the Aggies on their track team, and he posted a 10-1-2-100, which is blazing fast. Over the course of his career, he was productive. He ran for 2,930 yards with 26 touchdowns, but he's also a special teams guy. So he had 613 yards as a kick returner and two touchdowns, which adds to his draft stock, I think, because it gives him some more versatility. At number four, I also have Devin Akane. He's listed at 5'8 and a half. And he's listed at 188 pounds, which means that I weigh one pound more than him. Nice. Or, Anyways, he definitely has breakaway speed. He's really quick. It's not that he has great lateral speed, per se, because his cuts aren't crazy. But he does a great job of moving like diagonally when he has the ball, keeping his feet a little bit out from under him to like the right or the left, having his body on an angle and having that diagonal run. You just have to, you have to watch it. I can't really describe it that well. He has amazing contact balance. He's not the biggest, so it's really, really important that he can bounce off tacklers. He's smaller. He's not the running people over, dragging people type of back. I see him as a great change of pace back, not as a three-down starter, which I would also say that nobody really anymore in the entire NFL is a three-down starter. The league's going away from three-down starters. People aren't drafting anymore. People are moving down to a lot more running back tandems, running back committees whatever you want to call him but although he's smaller he still has a nasty stiff arm he can catch the ball well out of the backfield and with his traits he's really really great on a wheel route where he's running diagonally and forward and he's got pretty good jump cuts number three i have jameer gibbs out of alabama listed at 511 200 pounds and i'm going to add a weird interjection in here but i read a scouting report that classified him as a jitterbug and as a fan of the Wizard of Oz, yeah, I said this was going to be a weird interjection, but that's actually an incredible like comparison. I think that's very creative. He's just got electricity in his game, so he plays with fast feet and soft hands. He's a big play guy with 10 carries or catches. I think it was four carries and six catches, respectively, of 40-plus yards. Big play guy. He doesn't have super impressive strength. Like I said, he's 5'11", 200 pounds, which, although big, is actually on the small end of my top three, and I'm assuming the same for you. Anyway, he doesn't have impressive lower body strength, per se, but he makes up for it in elusiveness and quickness at the line. Yeah, and going back to that, we, this week, unlike most weeks, we have a really, really similar list. Yeah. You can tell this guy's 
better than this guy. Maybe you can switch one and two here, but like you can't jump three places from three to five. From, right. You know, it's it's like these guys are pretty set in stone where they're at. Like Gibbs could be two, maybe the guy from Texas, not Bijan, but his backup could be six or five. But like it's pretty set in stone where they are more than other positions. At my number three, though, I also have Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. He's the most explosive running back in this class, and he has clear breakaway speed. He's really good at reading blocks and good at breaking tackles. But like I said, that breakaway speed won't be as important in the NFL because he won't be able to get those (coughs) big plays like he was in college because they won't happen as often. Those holes won't open up as often. He'll have to get through three or four guys in order to get that breakaway. But here's what I would do with Jameer Gibbs. I call up his agent. I say, hey, I want to have my one of my top 30 visit with Gibbs. You want Gibbs to make more money. You want Gibbs to last longer. It'll make you more money as an agent. I want a private workout with him. If he can catch passes as good as I think, if he runs routes well like a receiver, I draft him and maybe pick 27, pick 28, and I move him to receiver. Same move as a Tyreek Hill type player, but I'd play him more in the Debo Samuel role. I'd compare him more to Tyreek Hill, but I'd play him more than Debo Samuel type role because he's not quite as athletic as Tyreek Hill. But it's not that much of a different skill set from what he has, what he looks like. He'd still be a great running back, even if he wasn't a receiver. Then maybe I'd draft him early second round. Maybe he's just number three. But if I was an NFL GM, I would try to move him to receiver, see if he can see if he can work there. That's something I've noticed a lot of leading up to the draft is experts talking about him playing receiver in the NFL. Really? I thought I was unique. <laughs> I really did. That is, I mean, it's an, I, I definitely didn't think of that. So it's a, Number two, Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. 6'2", 220. So he fills out a good frame. Obviously, that's massive for running back. Although in today's NFL, it's not, you know uncommon right no 220 is pretty 220 is like middle of the line okay so he fills out a good frame he's talented both up the gut and off tackle one of his downfalls he can be an east to west guy at times so he'll get out on the edge and rather than moving up field and getting the yards with his decent speed for his size he will move east to west and tends to waste time and waste play capacity, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. I also have Zach Charbonnet at number two out of UCLA. I have him listed at six foot two fifteen. I get all my measurements off the combine. He has elite level jump cuts. He's great at reading his holes created by an O line, and he's great at fighting for an extra two to five yards after initial contact. He does not have breakaway speed. He's not slow, but he doesn't have breakaway speed. He does a really good job of helping his offensive line set up blocks. What I mean by this is that he'll run an extra step to the left so that a defensive tackle or edge rusher will also move to the left in order to make a tackle, and then he'll cut back to the right on this offensive lineman's back, which makes their jobs so much easier. He has really, really good open field cutbacks and great contact balance. He can catch out of the backfield, you wouldn't send him on like a deep route, but he's a good check down screen pass type of guy that you want breaking one tackle maybe, you know. So at number one, we both have the same number one. Bijan Robinson, patience, elusiveness, vision, build. He pretty much has it all. He, I think he's 
maybe the most well-rounded out of all these guys. He definitely stood out the most to me this past season. So at number one, I have Bijan Robinson. His best trait by far is his stop-and-go speed. It allows him to be extremely explosive when reading holes. He's a pretty good receiving back. You could definitely make him a workhorse three-down back if necessary, but I wouldn't because of injuries, and the NFL is generally moving away from that, like I already said. He has really good vision. He's patient when necessary. His balance is way above average, but from what I've heard, from everything that people are saying, I expected it maybe to be a little bit better. It wasn't that quite elite balance. It was great, not elite. He used really quick straight line, enough to consider a breakaway speed. So he's got elite stop-and-go speed, reaches blocks at an elite level, has breakaway speed, and has great balance. But he's no power back. He's not running people over that often, and he's not dragging defenders in with him. He's really good at breaking tackles, but not amazing. And because of those reasons, he's not to the level of Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott prospects that a lot of people are naming him as. He's still the RB1 in this class by a lot. It's, and maybe it's because defenders have gotten better in tackling and college that he's not doesn't look as good as Saquon or Zeke. I wouldn't expect Barkley and Elliott type plays out of him. Now, in the right scheme, his numbers could look good, maybe even better, but not quite as talented as Ezekiel, Elliott, and Saquon Barkley were coming out of college. Thank you for listening to Outside Source Football on 1017 Radio Free Hillsdale. We'll be back in a couple minutes after this break. Hello and welcome back to Radio Free Hillsdale 1017 FM. This is Outside Source Football. We're recapping the 2022 and 2021 drafts. So for me, the worst singular pick in the 2021 draft was Zach Wilson. I think this one's pretty obvious. The Jets had an amazing team and he still can't succeed at quarterback. He was also the second highest pick out of BYU, but I was never really high on him. He's been so bad that the Jets players have been begging Aaron Rodgers to come over. <laughs> At BYU, when he played against top 25 teams, this was my favorite stat. This is the reason why I was like a real Zach Wilson hater. When he played top 25 teams, so he played three games, he was 0-3. I don't really care about that. But he threw one touchdown and seven interceptions. He also single-handedly changed the media outlook on the pro day because he had the play where he blew up and his odds of going second skyrocketed and then people thought that play was why. Yeah, obviously my worst singular pick of the 2021 draft is also Zach Wilson. A disappointment both on and off the field. Um, He has thrown for only 4,000 yards in two years and only 15 touchdowns in two years, and I think you're exactly right with the bit about the pro day. I've seen that play, so many that throw, so many times. Oh, so have I. Yeah, we, I think it's like he's rolling out to the left or something like that, and then he rolls out to the left. He throws to yeah. the right. It's somewhere between fifty and sixty yards. Right, I've seen it so many times. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Have you also? I love his media because it's so horrible. It's embarrassing. <laughs> he's like the most cringe person oh, ever by accident, and he's so confident for no he's reason. He's so confident. Oh. I do not like Zach Wilson. <laughs> Why is he? This, this? I'm glad he's bad. <laughs> My worst pick in the 2022 NFL draft was Trevor Penning. 
He was drafted with a 19th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, and he had a lot of character concerns. He even got thrown out of a preseason practice. He also only played four games in 2022 because of injuries and did not show out in any way during those four games. 22-22, bad draft picks are hard because it's a little bit early because he could you know, have a comeback year. It's just a sophomore, but I'm extremely worried about the Saints' first-round pick. 2022 worst pick for me was Cade York, a kicker, which I know hurts. But I just want to say the masterminds in the Browns' front office, the leaders of the 8-9 and nine franchise of the previous year, casted every need to the side and picked up a kicker with the 124th pick of the draft, which doesn't surprise me. Kickers are people too. I <laughs> I understand. But the Browns, I mean, it, it's not that it's surprising coming out of Cleveland. I just don't understand the logic, especially from a team. That just went 8-9? and nine, Right. And spent multi, multi-million dollars on a quarterback so they need some rookie deals on their contract? For my 2022 best singular pick, I have Garrett Wilson. There are definitely some candidates for this one. Hutchinson, Sauce, even Purdy, who I'm not a huge, I'm not as high as the media is, and Abraham Lucas. But I went for value long-term that showed this year, as well as taking when they were picked into account. So he's picked 10th overall, which is behind Hutch and Sauce, and which is early for you know, the best value pick but he was also by far the best offensive player in the draft and wasn't even the first wide receiver drafted. He broke 1000 yards in his he broke 1000 yards in his rookie year with extremely questionable quarterback play. He also won offensive rookie of the year. He was my number 1 ranked receiver going into the draft by quite a bit. He was athletic, great route runner and had amazing catch radius. And if he gets Rodgers this year and Rodgers trusts him, he's going to be scary dangerous. Ma, the best pick in my opinion, of the 2022 draft was Aiden Hutchinson, a hometown pick, not posted nine and a half sacks this past year and three picks at the end, which is quite an impressive stat. He, we've talked before, or I think I have at least, about the Lions maybe being on the rise, and I think he's going to be an integral part of that as they continue to both grow and get better. And so he was He was my number one pick. For the in 2021, draft. the best singular pick, in my opinion, was Michael Parsons. Michael Parsons was a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year in his rookie year, and he had an amazing, another amazing season this year. He also won Defensive Rookie of the Year in his first season by a mile. In his first two seasons in the NFL, he has 26 and a half sacks and six forced fumbles and three fumble recoveries, one of which was four touchdowns. He was seventh in sacks this year, even though he was double teamed extremely often, he was by he was because he was by far their most dominant pass rusher. He's also sixth in sacks in players in their first two seasons all time, behind only players like Von Miller and barely edging out JJ Watt. He was also hurt a lot of this last year and he still put up those numbers and he still played every single game. My my best pick, in my opinion, the best pick of the twenty twenty one draft was Jamar Chase both in terms of productivity and team spirit. So he posted back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. But I also think he's an incredible addition, an incredible flashy addition to a young Bengals team. He helps out Joe Burrow in confidence, obviously, but then also in you know productivity and play and on-field. 
Yeah, and it was probably the most hated on pick for a while. So the fact that they worked out is good for them. So in 2021, best drafts. My third best draft in 2021 was the Dolphins. Jalen Waddle has been a great wide receiver for the Dolphins. Amazing feet, speed, fits their scheme well. Javon Holland has been a solid starting safety. Their offensive tackle has at least been their starter, which means something. And Jalen Phillips has been a very solid player. So they got one star and a lot of starters. And the 2021 draft class was really, really thin. It was a really bad draft class. Extremely top-heavy. It was pretty bad outside of that. It just didn't work well. So for them to get a star and this many starters was really, really good. My number three was the Detroit Lions. So they got two of the most valuable non-QB picks in that draft. And like we talked about before, the Lions are on the rise. And I think the past two years, they've had pretty solid draft classes. And so those have both been key parts of their success and will continue to be, you know, the players from those drafts will continue to improve and help others behind them grow and improve. And those are going to be, that's going to be a key part of their success in the future. And number two for the best drafts in 2021, I have the Lions. They got the, one of the stars in Penny Sewell. And like I said, very few teams actually got stars. He's been amazing. He's part of what is a top three run blocking offensive unit in football and a top five unit overall. They also got a second star in the fourth round, and they were really, in my opinion, the only team to get two stars in Amon Ross St. Brown. Phenomenal talent, extremely consistent. I think he has the second most receptions in his first two seasons behind only Michael Thomas. I might not be right about that one. He has 2,000 yards in two seasons, though, and 11 touchdowns, and is by far Goss' favorite target on third down, consistently catching third downs. He's also got a couple... The Lions also got a couple of defensive tackles who are still on their rosters and made a couple of starts. They also picked up Brock Wright, who stepped in as their starter this year and was pretty solid. My number two best draft of the 2021 season was your number three, the Dolphins. I think you were exactly right. They drafted a star and a whole bunch of starters. Jalen Waddell and Javon Holland both had impressive rookie years and have continued to produce in the year since. Um... And like you were saying, I remember the 2021 draft class being very thin. And so, as you said, the fact that they were able to get a star and a few productive starters was impressive. For my best draft in 2021, I have the Jacksonville Jaguars. The 2021 draft class was extremely top-heavy. You either got one of the best players or you didn't. ETN was okay in 2022, but Trevor Lawrence is the only QB in this draft who was a franchise QB Easily top 10, already shown out. Other guys could be a draft or a franchise quarterback, but we're not really sure yet. Trevor Lawrence is easily elite. Although it was the pick they were supposed to make, they made it, and they made the playoffs because of it. I was tempted to put the Jags in my top three as well, but I went with the Chiefs as my number one. They filled out their O-line. Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith both helped them out at guard, and they were able to improve in that area. For my... Best drafts in 2022, and number three, I have the Seahawks. Finding a franchise offensive tackle is not easy, but finding two in the same draft is absolutely insane. Along with that, they had a running back who was a candidate for Offensive Rookie of the Year in Kenneth Walker, and they had a fifth rounder who was also a candidate for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Four stars, one draft. Much better than the 2021 draft. 
This is only my number three. At my number three, I also have the Seattle Seahawks. They got lots of play for everybody drafted above the fifth round. So it was something like 500 snaps for everybody drafted before their first round pick. Which, I mean, I don't, I don't think tends to happen super often, right? No, that's not, that's not extremely common. Yeah, so they got some, they got some good starters, and like you were saying, some good stars out of, out of their class. Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross, who they took at number nine, gave good fill to the offensive linemen. And you were saying earlier how Abraham Lucas is arguably an option for the best pick in the draft. Yeah, because he was it was such a late pick. Right. And because he's such a great talent. Okay. So the yeah. combination of the two, late pick, great talent, long term talent, he was up there. Right. That's my number three. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, one oh one seven FM. At my number two in the twenty twenty two best drafts, I have the Lions. They had a phenomenal rookie at an extremely important position of need. They drafted high talent. They also drafted a high talent who hasn't played much yet, but was great when he did see the field. They also got a third-round safety who was amazing. He was the only player to pick off Rodgers twice in a season, and he did it three times, and he should have done it four times if it wasn't called off on a stupid penalty call. They also got one of the best pass rushers in the class, and I'm not talking about Hutchinson. I'm talking about James Houston, who may not have been a three-down guy, but when he played in the second half of the season, he had eight sacks, which is 30th overall in the entire NFL. So he's top 32. And he had a forced fumble in only 140 snaps. He only played third downs. If he can improve at all in first and second down, he'll be a superstar. They also got a decent three-down linebacker in the sixth round. They also got a decent tight end, who's a great tight end, too, in the fifth round. My number two is also the Detroit Lions. I'm going to point to just two of the picks that they made, Aiden Hutchinson and Kirby Joseph. So Aiden Hutchinson, as we have already said, was an elite talent, and we knew that from the beginning. It was near 10 sacks and three picks for him, so he's an outstanding defensive player. And Kirby Joseph, who was a third-round pick, ended up with four interceptions on the year, and you said three of them were against Aaron Rodgers. They were. He should have had four against Aaron Rodgers, actually. So almost, almost had four interceptions against Aaron Rodgers. That's crazy. E- either way, 75% of his interceptions thus far have been against one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, which is pretty cool. And so he gave them some good productivity for a third rounder, and the Lions, the Lions made some good decisions in this past draft. He was also number one in voting, fan voting for the Pro Bowl on safeties. Really? Which doesn't mean a lot because I'm not huge on fan voting, but it shows that at least people are recognizing his talent. Like people yeah. know people know he's out there. Well, and that's a testament to I think even the Lions front office, right? Yeah, you you just pick a random third round safety and he plays so good that the fans hear about him. Right. Yeah. At my number one for best drafts in twenty twenty two, I have the New York Jets. Having both the offensive and defensive rookie of the year gives you pretty much automatically the best draft class. They also had Brees Hall, who could have won Offensive Rookie of the Year if he was healthy. He was on pace to actually win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Jermaine Johnson, the second, was also pretty decent. He's an edge rusher. They picked him at pick 27, I think, off the top of my head. It traded up to get him. And just a great draft class for them, filling out a lot of spots. I obviously have the same at number one, the New York Jets. 
Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, obviously, like you already said, offensive, wait, defensive and offensive rookie of the year, respectively. And as you were saying already, Brees Hall, I think it was, was it week six, seven, eight that he got hurt? Seven? Seven. I don't know. It was six or seven. Either way, through week seven, they had the front runner and the runner-up. The for, guy who actually won. Yeah, for offensive rookie of the year. So that's, that is a pr- pretty impressive draft class, yes. So we're going to move on to worst draft classes in the 2021 and 2022 year. So in 2021, the third worst draft class, so the 30th best draft class, was the New York Giants. Kadarius Tony was a great pick, but they cut him because he couldn't stay healthy, so they basically got nothing for him. And other than that, they had a fourth-round offensive linebacker who has 22 total sacks and a whole bunch of guys who don't start. That's what the Giants' 2021 draft class looked like. It has been rough for the Giants fans. I don't know how exactly Brian Dable made the playoffs this year, but he pulled off a miracle. Number three. At number three, I have the Los Angeles Rams for 2021. They only had one top 100 selection, so it makes sense that they maybe didn't get the greatest value, but it doesn't change the fact that they didn't pick up a great pick. Tutu Atwell was their only top 100 selection and has accounted for only 300 yards in two years, and so I think that's pretty indicative of where that class went for them. And number two, I have the Tennessee Titans. They have a lot of guys who are still on their roster, but they're just a whole bunch of backups, no stars, barely any starters, if any. Number two, I have the Tennessee Titans as well. They chose a few offensive linemen and a few parts of the defense. Some of them worked out, but they did not choose wisely on the whole in my estimation. For example, Elijah Molden was a cornerback that they took in the third round. He's seen little playing time, and in two years has only posted 67 tackles. And this was a trend for most of the others in that class as well. In 2021, the worst draft class, I have the Seattle Seahawks. To be fair, Seattle made a lot of trades prior to the 2021 draft, and they only made three total picks. But those picks were Durain Eskridge, a wide receiver who has 17 receptions in two years, a corner who's been replaced this year and only played 11 total games and started only three of those games, all of them his rookie year, none of them this past year. And finally, a sixth-round tackle, which obviously they drafted two new offensive tackles this year, and they're both starting. So he's gone. At the worst pick for the 2021 draft, I have the Indianapolis Colts because I hate them. They have struggled for a long while when it comes to drafting, and 2021 was no different. They failed to pick up a quarterback worthwhile. I think that was the year they took Sam Ellinger. The Colts have struggled for a long while when it comes to drafting, and 2021 was no different. They failed to pick up a quarterback worthwhile and couldn't pick up a substantial addition to a desperate offensive line. And for those reasons, they were the worst in the 2022 class. For the worst draft... (laughs) <laughs> for the worst drafts in 2022 at number three so number the 30th best draft i have the eagles there are a lot of drafts similar to the eagles it was a pretty close race for number three jordan davis only played 13 games and had only 18 total tackles eight of which being solo tackles 
and Nicobe Dean beat him, though, with only 13 total tackles. So between the two of them, between their first two picks, they had 31 total tackles. Now, they did have a really stacked team, so rookies were not super necessary for them, and they only had five picks, but still a very bad-looking draft so far. They had less contributors than number two in terms of their picks, but they just have more potential, and technically these guys are like project guys, so they could turn around, so that's why they're number three and not number two. At number three, I have the Washington Commanders, a team that's been struggling for quite some time. Apparently their top two guys that they drafted didn't even know they were picked at first. Like They were surprised to get the call. One of them was like watching the NBA Finals or something like that, and one of them was... Uh, they they weren't paying attention, and so when they got the call, they were a bit caught off guard, which I thought was pretty funny and also pretty indicative of just where that franchise is right now as a whole. At my number two in the worst drafts in 2022, I have a Cardinals. The Cardinals did not have a pick to the second round in which they picked a tight end who was not very good this year. Other than that, a couple of guys with double-digit tackles but no starters. And number two, I also have the Arizona Cardinals, again, a franchise that's been struggling for quite some time. And like you said, they didn't pick up a starter that year. So, At the worst draft in the 2022 draft class, I have the Los Angeles Rams. They didn't have a pick till the third round in which they drafted someone who has never started for them. They also drafted a decent corner who had three picks, although he was never going up against number one receivers. Other than that, Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And their corner is like their third corner. Now that they traded away Ramsey, obviously, he'll move up in the depth chart. But, like, he's not that good. He's not enough to save this class. Starter by default, maybe. Starter, Yeah, starter because the other guys are so bad. Okay. <laughs> the worst draft of the 2022. The worst class in – how would you say that? The worst draft. The worst? The team that had the worst, worst draft. draft. <laughs> okay. The team that had the worst draft in 2022, I chose the New England Patriots. Most of their picks are mid-level starters at the very best, if not complete backups. And they're a team in a quasi-rebuilding stage, and so that doesn't help them out a whole lot. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. This is Outside Source Football. Please go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at OSFB underscore pod. We thank you, and we'll be back at the next week, same time, same place. Next week, I will be doing my full first-round mock draft. You won't want to miss it. It'll be super exciting going through every single team, including trades. And in two weeks, Ty will be doing his full first-round mock draft right before the draft on April 28th, I think. It'll be super exciting. You won't want to miss it. Have a lot of fun. We'll see you next week.